life. He has been faithful. Just in the past few months, I've given birth to my third beautiful child, celebrated seven wonderful years of marriage with my husband, graduated Bible college. So I just wanted to testify that when we are faithful to God, he is faithful to us. We serve a good, good God. And I want to share a scripture with you this morning. Psalm chapter 27, verse 13 and 14 says, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Who's living this morning? Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Jesus, we thank you this morning for your goodness and your faithfulness to our life. We worship you, have your way in this time, God. We give you all of our praise and adoration in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Let's get ready to worship. Come on, put those hands together this morning, church. Come on, our God is good. He is awesome. He is powerful. Come on, just raise your hands right now. Lift up your voice this morning and say, we love you, Jesus. We worship you this morning, God. You were faithful. You were good, Jesus. Come on, sing about Jesus this morning. Jesus, you're glorious. You're glorious. Jesus, you're glorious. You are so glorious. Sing that again. Jesus, Jesus, you're glorious. You are so glorious. Say, Jesus, Jesus, you're glorious. You are so glorious. Come on, let me see you raise your hands. How many of you guys believe he's worthy to be praised? Come on, let's give him our best worship this morning. Let's sing about our God. You ready? Come on, sing about Jesus. Jesus, you are glorious. You are so glorious. Do you believe that this morning? You are powerful. We believe it. Within your hands, you hold the stars. You're powerful. Jesus, so powerful. You are so powerful. 
just lift up your voice right now and declare your hope is in the Lord. Jesus, we're hoping in you. We trust in you, Jesus. Come on, talk to the Lord this morning. Talk to him this morning. Every doubt, God, every fear, everything, oh God, that we stand upon beside you, God. We cast down, God, we trust in you. Our faith is in you, Jesus. We stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, come on, I want to release you right now. Start speaking in tongues right now. We're a church that believes in the book of Acts. We believe that God uses us to speak to his church right now. I want you to start speaking in tongues right now. All over this room, if you're filled with the Spirit, come on. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Respond to those words right now. 
Let's respond to those words. If you've been running, you've been running away from the cross, come to the cross. You've been trying to find love in other places, come to his love. And let's start singing right now your own song to him. Let's start worshiping with our hearts right now. Your words to him. Jesus, Jesus.
time if you worshiped your God. Jesus is worthy this morning of your worship. He's worthy of your lifted hands. He's worthy if you look embarrassed in front of your friends. Come on. He is worthy. He died on a cross for you and me. Oh, just lift your voices to Jesus. He's worthy. He is worthy of your love. He is worthy of your affection more than anybody else. More than your girlfriend, more than your boyfriend, more than your money, more than your job. Jesus is worthy. Glorify him. Lift him up, Jesus. Jesus. right now communion is not just a religious duty friend it's communing with Jesus you are going to meet with Jesus if you haven't met with him already I strongly suggest you do it's all about God if you're not here with Jesus you're wasting your time if you're here for somebody else or any other reason besides Jesus Christ in his glory you're wasting your time you will not get what you came for come on as our leaders prepare the elements of communion, I want y'all just in an attitude of prayer, listen to me. We're going to do three things this morning as we partake of communion as a church. We're going to, number one, remember the cross. Number two, we're going to celebrate the cross. Number three, we're going to identify with the cross. And I'm going to unpack that in a moment, but I want to share with you a story all eyes here, but just in that heart of prayer, God is with us here. There was a man named John G. Lake, a great missionary and faith healer of the early 1900s. He was born in Canada, moved to Chicago, became a successful businessman, was on the Chicago Board of Trade, made a great income. And God called him into ministry, and he left the business world to pursue missions in South Africa. He had founded a missions organization he had 125 men with their families on the mission field of South Africa. How many know that's far away? It's a long ways to be from home, 10,000 miles by way of England. And he had had a financial crisis. Lake was not able to send these men the money they needed to live on. Can you just imagine that, South Africa, and, and your checks are not coming in. You have a wife. You have kids. It's not just you. You have a family. How many family men we have here? All right. He was not able to send them $10 a month. There were times he couldn't send them $2 a month. They didn't have what they needed to live on. The situation was serious. So Lake and his committee sold everything they could to fly these men in, get them together for a conference to see if they were willing to go on. And in the midst of that conference, they asked Lake if he would just leave the room for a moment. They want to talk amongst themselves. Went across the street, and he got a cup of coffee. He came back. And he found the, ta the chairs in that room in an, o in an oval arrangement around the room. And at the end of that arrangement was a little table with bread and wine. I want you guys just to take a look at this. This is the wafer representing the body of Jesus, which was broken, bruised, and torn apart for the sins of mankind. What we have here is grape juice representing the blood of Jesus, which was spilled 
as a form of cleansing for our sins. They had the Lord's Supper prepared. And Lake wanted to know, are you willing to go on? Are you willing to go back with your families? Do you, you know what you're risking? And one of them stood up and they said this. I'm going to read what he said. Brother John, during your absence, we have come to a conclusion. We have made our decision. We want you to serve the Lord's Supper. We are going back to our fields. We are going back if our wives die. We are going back if we have to starve. We are going back if we have to walk back. We are going back if our children die. We are going back if we die ourselves. We have but one request. If we die, we want you to come and bury us. Again, family men, people who have loved ones. Everybody here has a loved one. We're going back if our wives die, if our children die, if we die. Regardless of the cost or consequence, they knew what Jesus Christ had called them to. And they knew he was worthy of any price that he asked of them. Lake said that that year he buried 12 of those men, 16 of their wives and children. He went on to say if they could have just had a few, few of the basic necessities, a few things they needed, a little bit more than they had, a little bit more medicine, a little bit more food, they could have lived. Their wives could have lived. Their children could have lived. But he also went on to say about South Africa, we don't have time to get in the stories. But there was a move of God in South Africa. People were getting saved and set free from all kinds of demonisms, all sorts of things, healing, signs, wonders, and miracles. And he said the only thing you could compare it to is Bible times, the book of Acts. The sacrifice of these men, they understood something. They identified with the cross. I want to share with you the words of Paul. Paul was a man who suffered for Jesus. He was stoned for Jesus. He was whipped for Jesus, ultimately beheaded for Jesus. He knew what he was getting into. He says this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul wrote elsewhere, Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, Paul writing again. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. So that those who live should no longer live for themselves but live for him who died for them and was raised again. Friend, what Paul understood, what Lake and his men understood is that if Jesus died for me, if he gave his life for me, if he held nothing back for me, I'll hold nothing back from him. And friend, I'll tell you, you may never go to South Africa. You may never be a martyr. You may never starve to death. But friend, whatever Jesus asked of you, will you give it to him? Is he worthy of your sacrifice? Is he worthy that you say yes to him no matter what? Do you trust him enough? Can you say, I'm crucified with Christ? Come on. Can you say, may God be glorified in my body, whether by life or by death? So this morning, we're going to remember the cross. We're going to remember what Jesus did soberly. He died for my sins, his body and blood. It was for me. We're going to celebrate 
the cross, the victory over death, the victory over sin. He bought us peace with God. He bought us an open heaven. He bought us a clean conscience and a new heart, things we could have never had. That every man and woman may be filled with God. That's victory, friend. The third thing is we identify with the cross. You may all start forming a line to come up and receive the elements of communion. That is the wafer representing the body of Jesus, the grape juice representing the blood. Our ushers will help you as you receive these elements. If you came by yourself, pray and, and be with Jesus. This is about communion with the Lord. If you came with your loved ones, family members, pray with your family. But your prayer is this, Jesus, I want to identify with the cross. I want to serve you no matter what, by life or by death. And just find any place in the, here in the sanctuary. If you want to kneel at the altar, you're welcome. Find a place with your family. Go back to your seat, you're welcome. never die a martyr's death, but you may be finicky and say no to God. Is Jesus worthy that you say yes to him? Is Jesus worthy that you obey him? Come on. Just pray on that as you get with Jesus. He is worthy of your whole heart. sacrifice. God, it should have been me there exposed to that shame. It should have been me there taking the wrath of God upon myself. I should have I should have hung there as a criminal. I should have been shamed. 
thank you, God, that there's hope for me, God. I know where I came from. I know I need the blood to cleanse my soul. I know I need I need what Jesus accomplished for me. I need it. It's for me. It's for me today. Just get that in your heart. Jesus did it for you. He did it for you. You wouldn't have any hope apart from him doing this. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you for loving us and giving your son for us. You gave us the best. You held nothing back from us. God, I just pray that the body and the blood, the, the way from the grape juice that was taken today, it's not taken in vain, God. It's not taken with a religious heart, God. But everyone who took it understood what they're getting into, that they're remembering you, celebrating you, and identifying with you in your suffering. We thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. And everybody said... just find your seats if you can't tell already we're doing things a little differently this morning my name is Jared I'm one of the elders here at Metro Praise I lead up our evangelism ministry and I want to take a time out to preach to you the gospel everyone say gospel that word gospel means good news the gospel is simply the good news about Jesus and everybody just have your ears and your eyes wide open right now pay careful attention this message is life-changing. On that note, I want to talk to you about the greatest distance in the universe. It's the distance between heaven and hell, 18 inches. You ask me, what am I getting at, 18 inches? Yes, 18 inches, distance between heaven and hell. You know why I say that? Because in the human body, it's 18 inches from the brain going down to the heart. Come on. If you have your Bibles open, you can find Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And it says this, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Now, most of you, if not all of you, would agree to that. You say, amen. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. Let's go get some lunch. Come on. Not so fast, my friend. I want to issue a challenge. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe what you're saying? I'm convinced that a lot of Christians and a lot of churchgoers really don't believe in Christ. Because if they did, they would live differently, right? I'll give you an illustration. Let's say I was your doctor for years, and you know me. And I told you you had a terminal disease. It went undetected before, but we found it. It's too late. It's terminal. You have three months to live. Now, you have it on good authority, your doctor, a weighty truth that you have three months to live. Based on that, will you not live differently? Will you not have a sense of urgency? Will you not have a different perspective? Will you not do things in the coming days, weeks, and months that you've never done before in your whole life in response to that news? But I tell you on good authority, the Bible, God's word, that stood tall over 2,000 years, that Jesus loves you. That's a weighty truth. He has a plan for your life. He died for your sins. He resurrected. He's coming again. And most of you take it so casually. Jesus died for my sins. Yes, Jesus died for your sins. Take it personal, friend. He died for your sins. Your wicked deeds put him on the cross. It required a punishment from a holy God. And he loved you enough to take it in your place. So why do you love your girlfriend more than Jesus this morning? Why do you love money more than Jesus this morning? Do you really believe in him? 
There's a world of difference between saying something with your mouth and believing it in your heart. I want to issue a challenge. Do you really believe in Jesus? Are you just giving him lip service? Is it just empty head knowledge? I'll tell you my testimony. When I first came to believe in Jesus four and a half years ago, no one had to sit down with me at a coffee shop and explain to me 15 proofs of the resurrection. No one had to answer all my questions. No one had to let me cry on their shoulder. Jesus showed up, and everything changed. And I knew my life had to change. I knew Jesus died for my sins. I was a sinner. I knew he was coming back. I knew I would stand before him. And there's no getting around that meeting. I would stand before him, and he would judge my life based on the facts, thoughts, words, and deeds. And I feared him. I didn't have 30 days to wait. I didn't have seven days. I wasn't going to wait until I cleaned up a little bit. I didn't have 30 days. I didn't have 30 seconds. Everything had to change right then and there. I had to live my whole life for Jesus. Friend, if you really believe in Jesus, don't play games with him. If he died for your sin, how can you live in sin any longer? Come on. We're going to share together a statement of faith. We're going to recite this as a church. And I want to tell you, if you really don't believe this and you're not willing to live accordingly, don't waste your breath. Don't dishonor God with an empty confession. But if you believe this, even if you believe it for the first time this morning, this is just historic Christianity here. This is what we always believed, okay? If you're willing to believe this, even for the first time this morning, and you believe it with all your heart and you're ready to live accordingly, I want you just to say it in faith with us as I recite it at the count of three. I believe in one God and creator. Come on. You're going to repeat this with me. We'll work out past the awkward moments. Come on, guys. You're going to say this with me at the count of three. Say it with me. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ founded upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, that the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in one salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Can we say amen? amen. Friend, in response to that message, we have Jessica and Salvador back here. We're going to have a time of fellowship right now. Jessica and Salvador, if you believe Jesus for the first time today, and you want to get your life right before God, they'll be back there by the kiosk. Guys, raise your hands to meet you guys and share with you the good news. But we're just going to get up, fellowship, meet some new people, shake some hands. Everybody excited for Jesus?
as you make your way back to your seat, slap somebody else high five. Tell them welcome to Metro Praise. We are so excited that you are in the house of God this morning. Jesus is showing up. How many appreciated Brother Jared? Can I hear an amen? Amen. As you can tell, we are in the midst of doing some new things at Metro Praise. One of the things we want to do is create a service experience. Everybody say experience. Thank you. We want to create a service experience that is so unique, that is so different, that when you walk away from Metro Praise, you say, man, we did it all. We sang songs. We prayed. We interceded. We took communion. We, we quoted creeds. We heard the gospel. And there's some surprises still coming up because we wanted to create the most unique service possible. I've been serving the Lord almost 17 years, and everybody's kind of always done the same thing. You know, sing three songs, announcements, offering, and then you preach and go home. And I, as we graduated, these new staff members from SUM, I said, God, there's got to be more than just Joe the one man show after you know worship you know it's like I do the announcement I preach there's got to be more they got to participate I got to get them active and God gave us this idea so for the next month just test out the tires all that we ask that would probably be a little different is just come at 10 a.m. to ready for church so we're going to shut down the cafe at 10 a.m. play the welcome video here and start on time somebody say amen that would be the only difference other than that just come have a wonderful time and I believe God is going to show up can somebody say amen Amen. So this is our Sunday morning service every Sunday at 10 a.m. We also have a Wednesday encounter service Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. The last Wednesday of every month is a family fun night. We just had one, and we broke our attendance record. It was our biggest turnout. Somebody give it up for encounter night. Come on, God showed up. We had a bouncy house, fun games outside. Generally, every Wednesday, it's a time of prayer and Bible study for the adults in here, Royal Rangers and Impact Boys and Girls Clubs in the back. It's an awesome time. Come out every Wednesday night. And then elevate. Come on, elevators, youth group, junior high, senior high, every Friday at 730. I know you guys went to the, uh, the, the beach Friday. Did you all do it? Oh, you all went Tuesday. Amen. Let's give it up. Barbecue Friday to the beach for the youth group. Come on, elevators. Y'all hanging out this summer, and you're getting yourself some Jesus. Nothing better than that. Amen. Amen. We got some good announcements to talk about. Uh, let's go to the summer retreat. Ishmael, wherever you're at, can you come on up? Yes, Let's I'm give here. it up for Ishmael. <laughs> How's it going? Who's excited about the summer retreat? Make some noise. If you're going to be there, I want you to stand up. Just really quick. Stand up. Stand. Take your stand. Look at all these people. Hallelujah. Give yourselves a hand. This is, this is a quick announcement. You can sit down. It's still only $65 per adult, $35 for children, 6 to 11. Uh, one important announcement, bring your bedding because you will be sleeping in awesome little cabins. All right, So bring your bedding, pillow, sheets, and all that stuff, toiletries. And if you're going to go, if you stood up, I want you to meet with Robin and Cynthia today after service. They're going to give you an itinerary, okay? And they want to get a little head count from, from everybody. So that's the announcement. See you next, set, uh, next Friday here at 630. Amen. Amen. So let's just go through it to make sure they got it. So this Friday is our retreat. So we're leaving this Friday. See Robin today to get the itinerary. If for some reason you cannot make it to the Friday, meet us on the Saturday. And then what's really exciting is the Sunday, next Sunday. Everybody say next Sunday. Next is a water baptism here on the stage for new salvations. Can I hear an amen? 
Amen. So for those of you who got saved or rededicated your lives at Boricua Fest, those who have been coming to the church, giving your life to the Lord, young people who have not yet been baptized, that Sunday, next Sunday, we're going to be baptizing right here. We got a portable baptism tank that's going to be right here. It's going to be awesome, man. Somebody say awesome. So, dude, come out. Let God radically change you. Let him bless you. The retreat Friday and Saturday, and then we are going to do the baptism next Sunday. And here's the cool part. We'll do it biblical style. So if you have any lost friends or family, bring them to the service. When we give them the gospel presentation, we'll have extra clothes in the back. And if they get saved, we'll baptize them the same day. Can I hear an amen? We just radical like that. Come on, we ain't scared. Somebody say, we ain't scared. Amen. This is the vision of Metro Praise, loving God, loving people. We want to fall deeper in love with God and deeper in love with this community and our neighbor. The three ways we want to do that is connect you to the cross, to mentor you with the cross, and send you with the cross. The best way to connect to the cross at Metro Praise is to join a life group. There are home Bible studies with food, fun, and fellowship during the week where you can meet and grow and develop your spirituality. Does anybody get excited about life groups at Metro Praise? Come on. These are awesome. Connect to Jesus by connecting to community. And then the next thing, mentor. While you're going to a life group, you can ask one of those leaders to disciple you. Everybody say disciple. Thank you. We are a church based on discipleship. They will go through our first book with you one-on-one. That means at any time that's convenient for you, you can begin to study your Bible and learn about it. And as you graduate the 101, you can then go into the 201 class because we want you to know the cross. Everybody say, know the cross. cross. Amen. Thank you. And the last part is to send you with the cross. Everybody say, send. Amen. We want to send you into this world changed uh, changed, and being able to be a world changer. But first you're changed, and now you can be a world changer. And if you are a world changer, you can be a history maker and a roof breaker. Can I hear amen? Thank you. And our goal is 100,000 disciples in this city. How many people believe Chicago needs 100,000 disciples? I'm not talking about church wannabe Christians. I'm talking about real people who know their Bible, live their Bible, walk in and talk. How many believe we need 100,000 more? Amen. With 50 churches here, it's a big city from the east to the west all the way to Algonquin, all the way out to the Comiskey Park, those other guys out there. We need to plant some churches here and 500 around the world. If you believe it, somebody say, let's do it. Amen, amen. Now, this is the first of the month, so I got some good things to share with you. It is our financial update. The first of every month, as well as taking communion, we want to give you our financial update so that you never feel you're out of the loop of what God is doing in the church. We brought $14,752.57 in tithes and offerings, $961 in missions and 83 cents, building funds $690.90 for a total of $16,405.30. Can we give it up for God's people doing good things? Amen. You all made that happen. Thank you. Now this is what we spent. $17,268.19. $700 to mission. $690.90 to building. $18,659.09. Let's just bless the Lord that we spent money on good things. Amen. Some of you are already tracking with me because this month we were under. Everybody go, oh. Okay, so this is where we're at, guys. This is what happens. That's why I want you to know what's going on every month. We had three major things happen this month that blew up our budget. Three things. The 15-passenger van needed to be repaired. That cost $750. We had the Boricua outreach that was well over $1,000. And then when we were paying off our credit card, we didn't realize that there were other bills that we had to pay that same month. 
because we had to pay off a $1,500 credit card. And so we were shy about $700 off of our budget for that, for the total of $2,200. Now, here's the thing. I don't want you to get discouraged. I don't want you to look at this and go, oh, man, that stinks. Because so many of you are giving generously above and beyond. You're doing all that you can. But at this time, we have to understand, we are fighting a spiritual battle. If the devil cannot stop the church through morality, if he cannot get me to sin with gold gals and, and glory, to get you know big-headed, he's going to try to take money away from us, to choke us, to, to not enable us to do ministry. So good churches, many times, they have to fight that battle. And then the second thing is, we're in the middle of a recession. You're feeling it. Everybody's feeling it. And so the only thing we can do at this point is we can, we can ask you to pray, and to sacrifice with us because this is no coincidence that this happened this month because this is also the month that we have to raise money to go on our mission trip at the end of July. I'll be going to India and Nepal to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is what I'm asking you to do with me today. I just put a big number up there, and I want to explain to you why we need to raise $20,000. First, I want to back up and say I wish I never had to put one of these things on the board. It's always my desire that tithes and offerings come in. We talk about it every month, that the tithe will pay for our building, that the offering will make up for anything else we need, the building fund, and then the missions will be for the missions. But right now, we are desperately in need of capital, and that's just another word of saying cash. We have to have $20,000, $10,000 to go on the mission trip, 10000 to clear off the $2,000 debt there and the $8,000 debt we carried into this month from other months that we were low. Come on, somebody say, help us, Jesus. Now, before we all get scared and head for the hills, let's talk about this for a minute. Is God bigger than 20000 Is God bigger than that, saints? Do you know that during the Great Depression, Christians gave more than they're giving right now? Pastors went back and researched how much did the average American give to their church during the Great Depression compared till now. We are so afraid that we don't know how to trust God. I want to ask you to understand something here with me, to hear my heart. We need this for two reasons and two reasons that I cannot get away from. Here it is. Number one, if I say to the Lord, God, I will not go to India, I will not travel and reach these places for you, we will not be a voice to these nations, I am now being disobedient to God. Some of you might say, well, Joe, we could save $10,000, all we would need is you know, $10,000 for our debt, why go to the mission field? You have to understand, if I don't go to the mission field, I can't come preach to you tomorrow or next week. I am commanded by God to do this. There's no, I, I have no choice, I have to go. It's a mandate. And the second thing is, why is our church continually 2,000 shy this month? Well, because there are things that happen that we don't plan for. $750 van repair, the expense to pay off the credit card, and the Boricua Fest. What can we do, saints? We have fundraisers to make up what we lack. Now, here's what I want you to do is pray. If you're saying in your heart... Pastor, I can't give one thing. I don't have anything. I need every penny. I'm going through this and I'm struggling. Then I want you to pray with me. And I want you to pray with me in desperation where you say, God, either change my pastor's vision and let's go rent a small storefront and stop traveling around the world, or God, make the vision payable. Make it possible, God. I want you to pray with me. And then the second thing, I want you to give sacrificially because you believe in the mission of this church. You believe in Boricua Fest. You believe in that van. 
You believe in what we do here. You believe in going to India. You believe when we show up there. My friends, we're going to be speaking to 225 different churches that call themselves Metro Praise, that use our books. They are looking to us to pastor them, to guide them. They have so many things they want to learn of us. I can only say to you from my heart that these are the most difficult times of my life in ministry when I have to ask you what I'm asking you. But it's also during these tests that I see some of God's greatest testimonies. Because when we show up in India, like David, he said, I won't offer to the Lord something that doesn't cost me anything. I want to sacrifice unto my God. When we show up in India and we meet with those pastors, I'm going to say Metro Praise in Chicago loves you so much. They love you so much. They sacrificed so much so that we could be here, so that we could give you more books. Pastor Matt, have we could give you a computer. They love you so much. And by giving back to the church and clearing our debt, what we're saying to the city is, city, we love you. Old Irving Park, we love you. We love you, Wicker Park. We love this city. And if it costs us something, if it brings discomfort to our bank account, if it costs us a Starbucks or a little bit of cushion that we have in our savings, we're willing to give it for Jesus and his sake. Amen? Amen. That's my plea from the heart. You know I don't do those well because I don't like talking about money, but that's my heart. Would you stand up with me, please? Oh, God, let's pray. Father, we have the month of July to do something which seems impossible. How in the world do we come to a congregation that fell behind the budget now to raise more money? It almost seems contradictory. But, Lord, our source is not people. You are our source. And, Lord, when we look to you, you said you will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that we don't have enough room to receive. God, I dare to believe you that during this time of giving that some will get breakthroughs on their jobs. Some will get breakthroughs through buying and selling of property and buying and selling in their businesses. God, I believe that breakthrough will happen because you said, Luke 6, 38, when we give, it's given back to us, pressed down, shaking together and running over. And, Lord, we pray for our missionaries today who are counting on me to be there, to teach them and preach to them, oh, God. Oh, Lord, would you be with them in all of their needs that they have week to week and day to day. Lord, would you touch the nations, oh, God. Give them peace where there's upheaval. Oh, right now, Nepal is already telling me after we've bought the visas that he may not want us to come because the communist government is persecuting Christians right now like never before. Lord, we don't even know if we can go to Nepal. God, how much more harder is it for him to live in Nepal? Oh, God, help us for Nepal, Pakistan, India, the Philippines, and Nigeria. Be with them. Help us to remember to pray for them. And, Lord, now bless us and our children's children. Make our nation great again. Be with our leaders, God. Be with those in government, God, to lift up the yoke of oppression and the corruption that's in our city that keeps us from having the good things that you intend for us. God, give our nation blessing again. God bless America, this land that we love. And we know as we're faithful to you, you will keep your word to us. In Jesus' name, can everybody say amen? Amen. Let's say it today. Now, if you ain't going to say it for yourself, will you say it for me in Jesus' name? Because i got to bear this burden for the next 30 days. I'm doing it by faith. Will you believe this with me and over your life? One, two, three. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you come rejoicing as you give today? Thank you so much, Metro Praise. God bless you.
Metro Praise. My name is Griselda, and I have something awesome to bring you today. We have a what do you believe question for you. Isn't that awesome? Are you guys excited? We want to know what you believe. The question for today is, what is the end goal of mankind? All right, think about it. What is the end goal of mankind? The answer is, Mankind's end goal is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The Bible tells us in Psalm 86, 9 through 10, all the nations you have made will come and worship before you, O Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Our goal at the end of this life is to know him and to make him known. We know him now, we're able to know him now, and we're able to know him for eternity if you have Christ Jesus inside of you. So this week, I want to encourage you to lift him up, to glorify him in your homes, in your workplace, and in your communities. Lift his name on high, because when you do, you will draw people, and then they, in turn, will be able to worship him for eternity. And as you go through your storms and trials on a day-to-day basis, I encourage you to just rest in his presence because you can enjoy him even now. Amen? So that's what we believe. I want you to take the next few minutes as the video plays to ask your neighbor, what do you believe? Amen? Up the phone, nobody's home. I'm all alone. Somebody. We've all been what do you think your purpose is? Today, it's all change another way. As you walk out the door, it's a twist a little bit. I'll admit, but we're stronger than before. Open up, we've had enough, we've had enough, and now we're holding on and waiting. What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? Somebody else, see what they think. If you're engaged in a good conversation, talk about it for a few more moments. We want you to be able to participate in the service. What do you think is man's greatest purpose? 30 more seconds. Purpose of life. Old catechism from the Reform Brothers. What is the chief end of man? Nobody remembers that. Amen, amen, amen. If you got your Bibles, will you open them with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We are some crazy church people for Jesus. Aren't you having fun this morning? I want you to come by this month. I want you to check out what we're doing. Kick the tires. I think you'll like it. If you have any questions or comments, talk to your life group leaders about it. But as you can see now, the full package, we're going to start on time. We're going to have a testimony at the beginning of every service, that time of worship with the gifts of the Spirit. We're then going to have a short time of gospel presentation in every one of our services now, and then a time of fellowship with that cool music that we always do, announcements and offering, and then a time to ask you a question, something to get you thinking 
speaking, to participate with your neighbor, and then to preach in an altar call. Somebody say, that's church. Amen. You may feel like a Catholic a little bit. You're going to do a whole lot today, you know, but I think it's going to be fun. Somebody say, it's fun. I'm just trying to get you to participate even more. Open with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. I want to talk to you today about those people. Everybody say those people. Come on, say it again, those people. Thank you so much. John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus gives us our text for today. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Everybody say, the truth will set me free. Amen. As you look back up at those people, I want to ask you a question because many of you, Metro Praise is not your first church, not your first rodeo. This is a place where you have come looking for a good church. So I don't think you've ever found these people here is what I'm saying. But I'm asking the churches you used to go to. No, I'm kidding. I'm giving a little wink, wink here. You know, in church there are some crazy people. There's the hypocrite. There's the manipulator. There's the needy. There's the critic. Now, part of what we're here to do is to love people. Everybody say, love people. Thank you. So we are here to love you. We're here to care for you, to do good for you. And we as pastors and leaders and brothers and sisters here are to love you just the way you are. But does that mean that we should let you stay just the way you are? See, I think true love compels change. I love my child right now, but when I see Bethany and Hannah pick their nose, I don't love that they do that, so I want to help them change. Now, sometimes people feel like the church is fake because, you know, nobody is perfect and only perfect people can help other people change. Well, that's our first problem. If we have to wait for perfect people to instruct non-perfect people to change, well, nobody will ever change because what? Nobody's perfect. So that can't make any sense. It's not like the policeman says, hey, you are speeding. Go on your way. Nobody's perfect. It's not like the judge, you know, when you appear before court for stealing something, if a thief is there, he goes, you know what, we don't really keep these laws anyway because nobody's perfect. There has to be a better way. There has to be a way of order in the church. Now turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus, in the book of Revelation, begins to deal with his churches. He has already ascended to heaven. The apostle John is the only living apostle that is left out of the original 12. And here in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, Jesus begins to give his, diagnos his diagnostic test of the church. He, he diagnoses their problems, and he says the things they need to work on. Well, in Revelation chapter 3, starting around verse 14, he deals with the church of Laodicea. And he says in verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Now the word angel there we know means pastor, messenger. It doesn't mean a flapping wing uh, spiritual being. It means a literal person. And they were actually called angels by Jesus because he saw them as messengers to that church. That's literally what it means in the Greek, angelos. To the pastor, leader, messenger, or angel of the church in Laodicea write. The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. See, that's Jesus. See, he is the amen. That means he is the so be it in God. Amen means right on, so be it. Everybody say, so be it. Thank you. So Jesus is the one that says, it's on, so be it. Jesus is that one. According to the Bible, he makes things happen. The faithful and true witness and the beginning of God's creation. So he was there from the very beginning, John 1.1. 1, 1. So Jesus is talking to the leadership of the church. Now look in verse 15. 
He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Everybody go, oh, that's kind of gross, right? Jesus is saying, you make me puke. Now, that's tough coming from Jesus. Now, he's dealing with people that are not doing the right things. And some people say, well, that's just what he said to that church. No, if you go back now to Revelation chapter 3, if you go up, upwards to Revelation chapter 3, starting in uh, around verse 1, he says to the angel in the church of Sardis, right? These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So God is in control of the manifestations of God's spirit and of the power of the heavenlies. He said, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Somebody say, you are dead. Thank you. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. If you would go through chapters 2 and 3, you would see Jesus has a correction for every one of his churches. The most intense is Revelation 3.16, where he talks to the Laodicean church, and he goes, guys, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my life, uh, my mouth. You better get right. And then he talks here to the church in Sardis, and he says, you know, everybody thinks you're alive. They come to the church, and they see you clapping and jumping. They think you're alive. He says, but I know your real works. You're dead on the inside. You're faking it. Come on, somebody say, those people. See, now it's going to start getting real. Would you put that up there again for me? When we talk today, I don't want you to hear from me a holier-than-thou attitude. I don't want you to hear me saying that I'm better than those people. But I do want us all to admit the times we've been like those people and to let God change us so we can be God's people. We want to be the kind of people at Metro Praise that are obedient to the Word of God, that love people, that are always willing to serve, kind in their heart, gentle in their correction. We want to be the good kind of people. Can I hear an amen? Amen. But truthfully, I as a pastor over 16 years have seen so many people come in and out of our church that have not had the right heart, not the, the right attitude. And I want to talk about that today. I actually made this a blog on Facebook. Did anybody uh, see it yet? And it's a little tough, but I believe if you hear God's heart today, if there's a part of you that struggles with this, God will change your heart, and God will do something good in you, but you've got to be willing to change. And if it's not about you, then it's about your neighbor, and you've got to help them to change. Amen? Oh, it gets quiet. I said amen. Okay, we just going to believe God for people to change. Let's leave it at that. Let's go to number one when we talk about those people. Number one, messy people make messes. Have you ever noticed in the church that there are some people that just always get in arguments and fights and messes and they never get along and you, you just can't seem to ever get on their good side? And they seem to blame it on you. They blame it on the children's worker. And sometimes they even blame it on our parking attendant. It was that person. He told me I couldn't park and it just threw my whole day off. Can I tell you the truth about messy people? Messy people cause messes. You know why? Because they're messy. And you'll see them before they come to church, they're messy. After they leave church, they're messy. Let me give you a newsflash. The church ain't the problem. And so here's God's solution to the messy. If you are a messy member and you just can't get along with people, let God clean your mess. God will not bless your mess, but he will bless the effort it takes that you want to take to be cleaned and changed. Everybody say, God will not bless my mess. Amen. Look at Psalms chapter 51. The Bible 
says that we all come messed up in some way or another, don't we? I mean, is anybody here perfect without any messes? Is your house perfect and clean? How about looking in some of those closets? Look into the bathroom cupboards. It's all messed up. See, my family, we know how to hide everything perfectly. First of all, if you ever come into our house and you see doors shut, they're shut for a reason. You'll just say, oh, I love this hallway. I love your doors. You know, it's great. Yeah, because we shut our doors. We don't want you to look into those rooms. You know you do it, too. We all have a way of covering up our stuff, don't we? The problem isn't that we've got messes. We're not saying you can't come to our church if you're, unless you're perfect and you don't have any messes in your life. No, what we're saying is if you deal with messes, if you've been a hard-to-get-along-with person, if you continually cause conflict, if you always have an attitude with somebody here, what we're trying to help you realize is you're the problem, and Jesus can change you if you allow him to. Psalms 51, 1 and onward. Have mercy on me, O God. Not have mercy on the children's worker. Not have mercy on the usher. Come on, you all looking at me like, like, like churches don't have problems. I, do I have to rewind and start naming some problems in the church to get all into your business? You know, how many of you have ever been to a church, this church included, and you have met some pretty weird, wrong people that just made you feel, oh, I don't know if I want to go there. Come on, we've all experienced this right in church. Don't get mad at me, the pastor. I'm just telling it as a T.I. is, as it is, amen? He's talking about me. First of all, I didn't pick out anybody, okay? And if I am talking about you, that's the Holy Ghost. Receive it. Number one, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Everybody say, my sin. The thing that I want to say to people here today, if you find yourself always in conflict and you know it's been, been with you before you came to this church and chances are it's with you when you leave this church, my friend, let God clean your mess. Admit you have the problem. See, when Nancy and I had marriage counseling, we had to begin to realize whose problem it was so that the person could change. And what we realized in marriage counseling is that many times I and her, you know, because it was natural, we would shift the blame, okay? So Nancy, you know, I would be hanging out with Nancy and I would be teasing her, you know, just kind of playing around with her. And she would say, leave me alone, you know, leave me alone, you know, stop teasing me. And then I would say, well, you didn't do this, you know, you didn't cook dinner tonight. All, all I just did right there is I just shifted the blame. Are you guys with me? See, she brings up the issue, and the issue is stop messing with me. And then my excuse to that is, well, you do wrong too. A lot of times messy people like to try to correct the corrector. So they try to make it out to be like, oh, don't you correct me. Let me tell you about your mess. You ever meet somebody like that? And it's just like a rebellious child. You know, the rebellious child, they get to be a teenager. The mom says, clean your room. And then the child says, well, clean the garage. You don't clean the garage. You know, it's that attitude of immaturity. And it's shifting of the blame. It's shifting. No, it doesn't matter if mom didn't clean one thing in that house. Mom paid rent in that house. And whatever mom and dad say goes. Hello, you. You can have your own bedroom in the, in, in the alley if you want. If you want to live on the streets, you can keep it however you want, kids. Hello, somebody. Messy people cause messes, but Jesus loves to clean messes. So God's solution to messy people is let God clean your mess. Step one is to admit you got a mess. If you find yourself in that situation, do it. I promise you, you'll be happy for it. Number two, dysfunctional Christians love attention but hate instruction. 
I call these the pity pattiers. They're always coming to me going, Pastor, I don't have any friends here. Nobody loves me. Nobody treats me good. And I'm like, well, we got a life group, 101 discipleship, a Wednesday midweek, and we go to the beach about every other week doing something out there. Have you tried all of that? Yeah, but it's just never enough. I just feel like I'm left out of the fun. Have you asked people on Facebook to go, yeah, but we know. You know what this is? This is the cry of a dysfunctional person. If you are an adult, let me start with the adults. If you are an adult and you don't feel right, unless you have 20 friends in this church you can hang out with 28 hours a day for eight days a week, you have a dysfunction, my friend. You have a problem. When I come to church, I'm like, let's hang out, let's hang out, make me feel better. You know what dysfunctional people are doing? What they're really saying is make me feel better about my dysfunction. Because when I begin to talk to people with these dysfunctions, I begin to say, so you go to your life group. Yeah, but it's just, it's just not really for me. I talk to the life group. Lee. What's going on at the life group? Well, every time they come with their same problem, we give them the same answer. We offer them with prayer, and they don't want to hear it. See, dysfunctional people many times want to remain in their dysfunction and use you as the excuse of why they're in a dysfunction. I've actually had people come to this church and go, you know, I, you know, I just feel like it's the church. You know, it's, my, it's, it's the church. You know, I, if I could go somewhere else and have friends, then I would do better. My friend, we are a church of friends. We play music to make friends in the middle of the church. We put up all of our, all of our leaders' phone numbers on the website. We are on Facebook. How are you going to find a church with more friends? And what they're really saying is I want the kind of friend that wants to attend my pity patty party. That's the kind of friend I want. I don't like these Metro Praise friends because these Metro Praise friends tell me that I'm wrong and I don't want those kind of friends. I don't want a friend that tells me I'm right and I'm okay and if I just do this, I, God loves me just the way I am. Listen to me, pity pattier. Get rid of your stinking thinking. God loves you the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. Listen to the wise counsel of the church and get order in your life. I mean, I could see if we were on a monastery here, when you walked in, it was, um, don't say hi. I mean, I could see if we weren't a sociable church. I could see if I came up here, you know, in some three-piece suit and I tried to intimidate. I mean, we are reachable. You can shake my hand here. You can shake every leader's hand here. Most of you have been to my house. You've been to leaders' houses. If you can't find a friend here, you are the dysfunctional person. Amen. I feel better already. Glad I came to church. Proverbs 19.20. Proverbs 19.20. Come on, just look at your neighbor and say he's talking about you. No, we're, ki ah, we're kidding. We kid. We kid. Me, we're just kidding with you. We're just kidding. You're not dysfunctional. No, you've never been dysfunctional. Look at ver We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been dysfunctional in some ways. I know, my goodness, I am like, the, I could testify every week about my dysfunction and how Jesus sets me free from it. The problem isn't, do we have problems? That's, that's normal. It's normal to have problems. If you didn't have problems, we would think you were abnormal. But the situation is, in your dysfunction, do you want real friends? Do you want real friends? Not judging, going to make you feel bad, but really be there to help you. When I first got saved, the teenagers that I would hang out with were still backsliding. They were young adults, and they didn't want to live for God. You know I began to hang out with old guys, old men in their 50s and 60s. And you know what? They would correct me. Joe, you know, it doesn't sound good when you say, you know, you should, you should watch out how you do that. I felt like a lot of the times I was getting corrected. I was an 18-year-old kid who just got saved off of doing drugs, being arrested. And now I'm hanging out literally with a dude in a nursing home, and he's correcting me on some of my, my slang terms. But guess what? It was good advice. It made me a better man. Now, he wasn't correcting me the whole time, but he was somebody that I could receive advice from. 
And that's part of the reason I got out of my dysfunction, going to Bible college, being around leaders. I still have an ongoing relationship with my pastor, working on that dysfunction. Husbands and wives mutually helping each other. Look at what the Bible says. Listen to advice and accept instruction. In the end, you will be wise. If your husband or wife says the same thing, your life group leader says the same thing, your boss and your friends say the same thing, chances are it's time to change. It's time to learn to get some advice in your life. Just take their advice. I remember people used to say to me, man, you're so harsh, you're so harsh. I used to try to deny, and then I began to realize, yes, I can be harsh sometimes. How many are glad I listened to that advice? I'm not as mean as I used to. What was he like before, dear Lord? Yes, I, I used to be a lot meaner than that. I'm nice now. This is the nice Joe. Ask anybody who's known me for any amount of time. He gets nicer, gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by, believe it or not. Now, I started way, way back. I'm getting up to about normal nice now. One day I'll be super nice and I have a, a big, long beard and a big belly. I'll be a nice old pastor then. Amen? Come on. The advice simply to dysfunctional people is just listen to instruction. We're not asking you to be perfect. We're just asking you to kind of change, to, to let God do something in your life. With, because real friends don't let real friends go to hell or live with stinking thinking. Number three, the needy love you until you say no. Now, this is something that I learned the hard way, and some of you are just starting to realize this, and I hear this all the time in our church, is that, you know, you get excited about God, you want to start doing evangelism, and you'll start reaching out to people, and, and they'll start wanting more and more and more. And what you'll realize is they will love you until you tell them no, until you say, no, I'm sorry, man, I can't pick you up today, I have to come back from work. Well, you promised you were going to pick me up every day. I went to church for the rest of my life. I'm really disappointed. I was planning on you being my taxi every day of my life. You know, well, I'm sorry uh, we can't pay your whole bill. We can p pitch in some amount to it. Well, I thought it was the church's job to pay our bills. The church is trying to pay its own bills right now. Well, you should pay my bills first. You know, it's like people never think it's enough. Why? Because when people become jimmies who will take all you will give me, they have lost the responsibility of themselves doing something, and they're putting it on to other people. I worked in New Orleans over eight years in the housing projects, and one of the saddest things was to see a project mentality, a mentality of you better give me Section A, you better give me food stamps, you better give me a, day car, a daycare or voucher car, you better do this, do this, do this, and then during the day what I'm going to do is juke and drop it like it's hot on my porch every day. That's what I'm going to do. And I would come out to the projects, and I'm like thinking to myself, you get to live here, you get food stamps, you get vouchers, and what's you do every day is wear Daisy Dukes and you drop it like it's hot all day long? Y'all haven't been to New Orleans yet. If I was in New Orleans, they'd be laughing a lot more than that. I'm being serious. This is called a ghetto mentality. And it's not a black. I'll get black people to come up here and go, that's ghetto. I'm telling you, it's not black, white, Latino, Hispanic. It's ghetto. Somebody say ghetto. And I began to realize, man, I gave away, we, sometimes we would give away food to 2,000 people out in the projects, and you would see two women fighting over, you know, well, well, I want the Captain Crunch. No, I want Cookie Crisp. And they would be fighting over, I'm serious. I remember sometimes we would go out there and buy them bikes and buy the children stuff, and some mother would come up to me and say, my son got a blue bike, how dare you? He wants a red bike. And we're just like, he has a bike, okay? Be happy to go run, ride your bike. And the kids is like looking at us, and the mom is yelling because needy people love you until you t say no. Stop living on barely get a long street next to Grumble Alley and get a J-O-B a job. And if you have a problem getting a job, let's help you get a job.
The Old and New Testaments both give requirements for people receiving charity. Many times people say in the New Testament that the single mom is the widow of the New Testament Bible and that we should help them. And I believe single moms do more for, for the family than anybody else when they have to do both jobs. I am totally with that. But this is not what we see primarily in the single moms of our day. Single moms, a lot of times we see, are being busybodies, wasting their money, watching Jerry Springer, and then they expect the church to come and raise their kids for them and they get mad at the pastor because the pastor's rebuking their kids. Who is a good single mom? Who is a good single parent? The ones that come to church, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 1, uh, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 and on. Look at verse 9. No widow may be put on the list unless she's over 60, been faithful to her husband, is well known for her good deeds, brings up her children, shows hospitality, washes the feet of the saints. Come on, somebody helps those who are in trouble, and devotes themselves to good deeds. That's what the Bible says. Because back then, people were coming to the church going, hey, I need a church to take care of me. I need a church to take care of me. And Paul was saying, hey, if you want the church to take care of you, raise your children right. Come to church. Watch the saints' feast. Be hospitable with what you have. I know this preacher may not get an amen, but if you believe the Bible today, can I hear an amen? Amen. Now, let me just preface this as I say this. There is not a group of people that I know that love needy people more than Christians, and there's not more uh, of a pastor that loves them more than me. There are people who love them as much as me, obviously, but I love people. I love to help people. We do everything we can, and what we personally cannot do here, we will have other ministries do. Jared now works at Teen Challenge. We know New Life Covenant for the women here in the city. We will get you in touch with food banks. Faith World has a food bank on Tuesdays. We will do everything we can. So don't come back to us and say we're not doing our job. Amen? Amen. Number four, people who always want to talk to the pastor hardly ever talk to Jesus. Hey, pastor, can I talk to you just real quick for a minute? Pastor, hey, pastor, just real quick, just can I talk to you privately? I just preached an hour-long sermon with 10 points. 15 altar workers were up here for a half hour. I'm loving Jesus, and there's somebody waiting up at the end. Pastor, I just wanted to talk to you real quick and tell you all my problems now. Do you, number one, do you think I'm going to tell you something different than what I just preached for an hour up here? Am I going to tell you anything different? No. Am I going to pray a different prayer than the 15 trained, prayed altar work, the trained altar workers? No. But you just want to talk about it because I'm your pastor. And I understand that. But listen to me as your pastor, if you really love me as your pastor. I have worked night and day, blood, sweat, and tears. I have lost some hair, and it's turned gray so I could raise up leaders in this church. I have worked my whole life to raise up leaders. And if you're telling me these leaders can't pray for you, then you're telling me I'm a miserable pastor, and then you might find another church, and you should, with a better pastor that can raise up better leaders. Because I truly believe in this church, when I preach and we say, come up to receive prayer, I believe these prayer workers will pray just as good as I will pray. Most of the time when I get done preaching, I'm too tired to pray. I want you to pray for me so that I can experience the love of Jesus. When I walk out here a little bit early, it's not like I go back and start doing jumping jacks and go, now I'm going to hang out with my real friends because they're not my friends. I'm so busy. No, I sit in the back, I drink water, I pour it on myself, Berto gives massage. Like, I'm, I'm a little delicate flower. You don't know that about me. I'm a little delicate flower. I, I, I preach my guts out. You can feel my shirt. Tap me on the back when I'm done. Don't grab it too hard. My shirt is sweaty. People are like, Pastor, why don't you wear a suit? I'm like, have you ever seen me preach before? So I can't wear a suit. Do you ever wear a suit when you run a marathon? 
What, are we crazy? I should be wearing a sweats. I should have a headband on right now, dude. I'm preaching my guts out. Now, I put a question thing on our website, 800 questions answered so far. I'm on Facebook, and I've raised up great leaders. If you want more than that, then do like everybody else. Try to make an appointment and do those things. It doesn't mean we don't care. Your pastor cares. It's just saying that you don't need to hear it from me for it to become real. If you hear it from the leaders, if you hear it from Jesus, you will hear the word of God spoken to you. Can somebody say amen? Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. This is, what, this is what Jesus said. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door is answered. Please do not hear me saying that I am against pastoral counsel one-on-one a time. We have set up a church. I don't know of another church that has done what we have done. There may be others starting to do this. We promise all of you here today, just look across this beautiful congregation. Thank you. Look across this. We promise every one of you an individual mentor in your life. We promise you that. We promise, listen to me, my friend. We promise you that. Why? Because we do know it's important to have a friend to call. I, I remember one time I was in Bible college and I was doing it, dealing with anxiety and fear, and I, and I was afraid to go to bed at night, believe it or not, because I'd have like these shakes and these things like coming off of drugs the way I did one step to Jesus. I had some physical effects to deal with. And I remember going to Bible college and I said, Guys, this may sound weird, but I used to sleep on couches in my car, do drugs all night. But now at night, I get attacked the most. I can't even go to bed sometimes. And I remember this one brother saying to me, he said, man, I got your back. He was an older student. He said, man, I got your back. You can come to my room anytime except after 2 in the morning because that's when I go to bed. And I lock my door. And I said to myself, dude, that's when it starts, (laughs) 2 in the morning. That's when I need you. I need you at 2 in the morning. That's when I need you. And that's why we're saying to you, we know people sometimes need mentors all the time, especially when people are coming out of lifestyles that are tough. We understand. That's why we promise it to you. We'll, we'll give you their phone number. We'll give you their address. We'll give you their firstborn child. I don't care what we have to do. We will convince you we love you. So many that started the church with us slept in my house, you know, spent time with us. They remember the Joe that would be here for four hours before and four hours after. That was before I got married and had three children. Are you listening to me? If I take more time away from my children now and give it to the ministry, I won't be able to have a ministry because I won't be living up to the standard of having a blessed family. Are you all listening to me? And it doesn't mean that I don't do things. I feel like I'm justifying myself. It's just a saying, if you always need to hear it from me, there's probably a problem there. Hear it from Jesus. Grow up spiritually and put on your big boy or girl spiritual pants and hit your knees at the altar. Seek and ask, ask the Father in Jesus' name for your issue first. And then trust the godly leaders that are here. If you are an elder or deacon in this congregation today, would you stand up, please? Trust the godly leaders that are in this church. Will you give them a hand clap? Blessing the Lord for them. Praise God. And guess what? It's not a click. You can join them tomorrow by joining the 101 and 201. You will be a leader with them. Amen? Number five, people who can easily walk away from the local church didn't have a heart for church to begin with. People who can simply leave relationships with churches don't have a heart for the church. This does not mean that you can't leave church. People have gone to other churches. That's fine. 
But if you can't do it respectfully in a place of honor, in a way that you can say thank you to your pastor, and let me just share this with you. If you have come to us from our church and you haven't gone back and thanked them and talked to them personally and let them know where you're at, then we beseech you here to do it. We don't want you so bad in our church that you disrespect the other church that you left. We want you to go back, tell them thank you, tell them three things they did for your life. Now, if some of you just went to church and there was no relationship with leadership, we get that because there's just some churches that are like that. You just show up, you go, and you leave. I get that. But I'm talking about places where they knew your name. They prayed for your children. I'm not saying you have to be there till you die. I'm just saying tell them thank you. Leave respectfully. So let me tell you about how to leave Metro Praise. Can we talk about that today? Just in case you ever want to leave Metro Praise. If you ever want to leave Metro Praise, would you tell us before you leave? Instead of showing up the, the Sunday that you're leaving, okay, guys, I'm out of here. What do you want us to do at that time? I mean, we, we are stuck at that moment. We can't really share with you anything. We can't pray with you. We don't understand what's going on in your life. And some people don't even tell us they're leaving. They just take off and leave. These are the same people that we've baptized, the same people we've done discipleship with. Do you have any idea how much that hurts us? We're normal people, guys. We have feelings. How would you feel if somebody, you know, stopped coming to your, your house that was your friend or stopped hanging out with you? You'd feel hurt. So here's the way we say mature people should leave a church. Talk to your leadership. Talk to them before you leave. Involve them in the process. Well, you know, I'm thinking about going to a church that has X, Y, and Z. Just want to lift you up in prayer. We are a good church. We're not going to say X, Y, and Z is of the devil. You should never leave this church. We own you. We own you, your children, and your, your houses. We're, we're a commune cult here. We all live together, and only death is the way out, a death vow. By the way, Mormons take death vows. If you didn't know that in temple, they do. You're like, they're crazy. Yes, they do, and they wear holy underwear. We're not the Mormons, okay? So true. If you don't believe it, look it up. So true. We're not making you take death vows and wear holy underwear, and we're going to say you go to hell if you, if you leave the church. But what we're saying is if you're a part, let's say you get to the part at least 101, and you know somebody now, and something is not right or you're not feeling could you let us pray with you? Could you help us send you to the next place? There's nothing that blesses me more uh, than when, when members come here and I get letters from their pastors or, or, or calls from their pastors, and they go, hey, just want to let you know this person left the right way. We bless them. God bless them now. You know, it just makes everything smooth because that's the way I want people to leave my church. And that's the way they want to leave their church. And if we all just respected the church, we wouldn't be disrespectful church hoppers. And here's the thing, nothing wrong with finding a good church. I'm not trying to say that. But what church hopping does is it makes you begin to look at the church of Jesus more like a harlot, a prostitute than the bride of Christ. Well, I want to be with this one this week, and then I want to be with this one this week, and then I want to be with this one, and then I'm going to stop going to this one. And we don't treat it with respect and honor. I know this sounds tough, but here's the word for you today. And if you remember Michelle, she said it when she was leaving out to move. Fall in love with the body of Christ. Have honor and respect for those who labor day and night for your spiritual success. Stop treating the church like a harlot hopping from one to the next and treat the local church like the bride of Christ. Can I hear an amen? Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. 
Like I said, I don't want anybody to feel bad here, but if you know I'm preaching, if in your heart you left your church the wrong way, we ask you to go back. Well, what if they want me to stay? What if it turns out better? We would, we would rather you stay there and God minister to you in a good place. We're not here to steal sheep, to put down other churches, or to have you be someone that disrespects leadership. I remember one time we, uh, we, we did our, uh, our grand opening here at the new building, and the place was packed. It was exciting. And the first guy, I mean, he was such the devil. The first person I talked to started ripping on another church. Well, I like your church so much because this church I used to go to, I just hated the pastor. Like as if I'm just going to go, well, I hate him too. Thank you for being here. We're so awesome together. Long story short, we ended up having to kick him out of the church. Because I said to him, I said, sir, stop right there. I don't, I, I know this man. This is, I mean, we're not talking about the Mormons, death, foul, and holy underwear people. We're talking about a good church, a Pentecostal, spirit-filled, loves Jesus church. I said, dude, stop right there. We ain't talking about that. I love that man of God. And then you know what he said to me? You guys, you pastors are just like the police. You all stick together and you're all corrupt. And then I had to bring Ricky into it. And I had to say, now, you're going to repent of that or you're going to roll out. And then he didn't want to repent. And we said, boy, it's time to roll out. Am I telling the truth? Come on, look at your neighbor and say, it's real church. Amen. Now, we ain't going to kick you out, you know, for having problems, but, man, you're going to come to me and Christian cuss out a pastor and tell us we're corrupt and we all stick together? No, we're living for God. We're, we're, in a, we're in a community together. There's no difference between here, New Life Covenant, Chicago Tabernacle, Faith, with all these. We have our unique differences, just like your family has its unique differences. And when you go home to dinner, you don't show up at Bubba's house. You go to your house and eat. And that's why we come to Metro Praise. This is our house, amen. This is where we come eat spiritual food. And just look at your neighbor and say, it's yummy, yummy to my tum, tum, tummy. Say, you like, you like how we cook it up here, amen? A little spice, a little salson. Come on. little Goya. We try. So... That's what we do, and that's a great church, and that's a good place to visit. But we're not going to disrespect them, amen? Philippians 2, 21 to 23, for everyone looks out for his own interest. Paul got so upset one time that people kept leaving him disrespectfully that he said this everyone. Now, we know it wasn't every everyone, but in his world, it just felt like everyone. Everyone looks out for his own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the, in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as things go good with me. Paul was saying, man, everybody keeps leaving me. I got nobody I can count on. Timothy, he's the only one left. And sometimes we as a pastor, we feel that way. Sometimes the church will be full and we'll hear about one member leaving the church. We'll go like, oh, man, everybody's leaving. And that's why we wanted to do it right. Because if you're going to leave and it's going to be hurtful to say goodbye, at least come and do it with joy. Man, thank you for everything. Anything you want me to hear, I would love to hear. Keep me in prayer. We're not trying to control your life, but we just want to bless you. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's keep on going. Number six, know-it-alls can never admit they don't know something because they know it all. Have you ever met a know-it-all before? Amen. They just want to talk and talk and talk and talk about what they know. They want to talk about the National Geographic channel, the cooking channel. They want to talk about politics. Every conversation goes back to them. They don't know how to listen. Trying to teach a know-it-all is like trying to pull the sharp quills from a porcupine. It's ah. Just last time I tried to teach you something. It is hard to talk when somebody else is talking. Matter of fact, you don't learn when you're talking. You have to be quiet to learn something. And I want to say as your pastor that this was one of the biggest problems I had because I thought I knew it all. 
And I remember being at my pastor's house, Brother Anthony, and we were in an argument, me and a fellow student in Bible college, and we were arguing, and I actually knew Brother Anthony agreed with me. So I go, Brother Anthony, tell him. Tell him, Brother Anthony. Tell him where, where I'm saying it's true. And then Brother Anthony was just like, calm down. And this was in his house, by the way, in the south, and he's like, calm down. And then I go, Brother Anthony, just be a man. You could just hear, you could just hear at that moment the silence in the room. You could hear like a, you could just, the, the wife took the children out of the room. Come on, kids. This is not going to go well right now. Cover your eyes. Oh, Lord, that was my first just real rebuke from a Bible college professor at his own table as I just told him, just say it like a man. Man, uh, you know, he began to tell me that I was talking so much I didn't give him a chance to talk, that I was making the other person feel like a fool, and he didn't want me to reiterate the offense that I was making. Even though I was right, I was offending the person. How many know you can say something, have the truth, but say it the wrong way? You can be right, but say it wrong. Amen? You see, God's solution to the know-it-all is this right here. Be quiet. That's what I had to learn. Humble yourself and learn from others. Stop trying to teach everyone and be the servant of all and earn the place of a teacher in the local body of Christ. I remember I continually got rebuked in Bible college until they finally kicked me out, and they said, if you don't change, we'll never give you a degree here. And I said, okay, I know more than you guys. I packed up my bags, and I went home. And on my way home, I was stopping at a gas station. I was pumping gas. And every day, you know, in the South, people ask, you know, like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? And you got to be polite and say something back. So I found a way to preach the gospel. So somebody was like, hey, how are you doing? I'm like, every day is a good day with Jesus, man. How are you? And we would talk about Jesus, okay? Well, when I was pumping the gas they said hey man how are you doing and I was just like oh I'm not doing good and I knew out of the confession of my mouth I couldn't praise God anymore I didn't feel right preaching anymore because I was convicted I then got on the phone and I called up the pastor and I said I'm starting to feel like I'm not obeying God and it was like eight o'clock at night I said whatever I have to do can I repent to you and they remember this 19 year old young man in Bible college he met me at the school with tears coming down my eyes I said pastor I don't know you know, how to say sorry other than I'm wrong. I'm sorry for doing that. Would you give me another chance? And I'm not saying I've become perfect and out of this, but over the last 15 years, Brother Anthony has been in my life, and he will show you and share with you, or share with you rather, that I have become more teachable, that I was able to go back to school, get my bachelor's degree, master's. And so we welcome all teachers here of all ages. You don't threaten us with your knowledge. We love knowledge here. We do debates here. We debate those Mormons before Sunday morning church. That's our, that's our brunch. Can somebody say amen? Our brunch. We're not, we write books here. We do. We have a Bible college here. What we just want to see is that you're teachable because you, you don't know what we know, and you don't, you don't know what we're doing here, and we want you to understand what we're doing here. Can somebody say amen? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, will you turn there with me quickly? Here's what Peter said. Young men, because young men generally struggle with this the most, but there can, you know, obviously be with anybody. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Somebody say, God is against the proud. Thank you. Do you know what I felt that day at the gas station? I felt the opposition of God that day. God was saying, you are a rebellious teenager that doesn't shut up and listen, and I will not bless you anymore. That's what God told me, guys. In, in ways that I could understand, be quiet, 
Hush your mouth. Submit yourself. I needed to be told. Now, there are some of you that we got the opposite problem. You don't talk at all. We're trying to get you to talk, and you don't think you can be a leader, and we want you to be a leader. But those of you here who have that natural leadership ability, you have that sense of God, you've been in church before, you know what I'm talking about. It is a fine line. And we are not here to insult you and those that are older than us. We are not here to treat you differently than we would our own fathers or mothers. What we're just simply asking you to do is be humble with us. Be humble. And I remember one time my dad, he was receiving an award for being the top salesman of, of the uh, stocks and bonds. He, he, he sold financial plans for American Express. And he was at a table, and these guys were talking the whole time. They were talking the whole time. And, and, and they got to the award ceremony, and they called my dad's name. My dad didn't say anything at the table. They called my dad's name, and, and they, they saw my dad get the reward, and they came back. And they said, Jim, how come you're not talking? Man, you should be telling us. And he says, I already know what I know. I just wanted to see what you know. You see, humble people don't have to force their knowledge. As a matter of fact, the Bible says wise people keep their wisdom to themselves until the appropriate time. We don't have to prove it to anybody. But if you're humble, we'll teach you. And if you remain teachable, God will make you great. And if this is a place he's called you to be, trust me, I would love for you to make this your church and help us teach. We will honor you here in that gift. Can I hear amen? Amen. And then here we have number seven. Rebellious people can never be alone. They need to divide to justify themselves. Has anybody ever called you up with a problem with the pastor? Has anybody ever talked to you about a problem with the life group? Anybody talked to you maybe at another church about something they didn't like? Do you know why people have to gossip in the church? It's because they can't be by themselves. Rebellious people have to have you agree with them that they're right. Because what if we all told the rebellious person, no, I don't feel that way about the children's pastor. I think she's pretty nice. She always does good stuff with my children. And then the next one she talks to, the next one, how many know there's not going to be any way for her to be rebellious anymore? But what a rebellious person does is, does that children's pastor treat your children like this? Because I've been noticing when I bring them in, my children are clean. But when they come out, they're dirty. What they want now is for the other parent to go, oh, yeah. My child comes out missing an eye. Sometimes they come out missing an eye, and they're missing an arm. I know, I know they're doing something crazy back there. Does the pastor feel like he's always talking about you? Because I always feel he's talking about me. I feel like he reads my Facebook, and then he preaches. I've actually had people tell me this. Like I sit down and go, what do we want to preach today? Oh, let's see what's going on on Facebook today. The reason why you come to my ch our church and not my preacher and you think it's talking to you because we keep it real, baby. I tell it as a T.I. is. It's going to come to you one way or another. I don't have to be a prophet. All I have to do is talk about life, and you're going to begin to realize, oh, man, I need to change. Amen? I always say this when I go to a new place. You'll know two things by the time you leave. You'll understand the message, and you'll know I'll pre I was preaching to you. Amen? You will walk out if you're going, man, I understood what he was talking about. It felt like he was talking to me. That's good preaching. Amen. What do we need to tell people that are a rebel without a just cause? Repent. Stop making excuses for gossip and handle problems the right way. Matthew 18, 15 through 19 says it all. Let's turn there quickly. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 19 tells us how to handle our problems. The first thing you do is you go to the person privately. So if you have an issue with the children's pastor, go to the children's pastor privately and go, you know, I see like sometimes my child comes out a little dirty and whatever. Let's talk about it. Look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between 
between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. Everybody say alone. Thank you. But if he does not listen, take along two or other brothers with you that it may be established with the witness or two or three uh, two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a, G- a Gentile or tax collector. Here's the, three or t- the three-tier way of handling a problem. You first go to that person. Hey, you know, we, we keep bumping heads. We don't agree. I think you've said this. You go to them personally, privately. By the way, this will help you on your job. This will help you in life. Amen? You talk to them privately. If they don't admit it or there's still a confusion, get somebody you trust in our church, an elder or deacon, to really hear out the situation. Okay, let me hear what's going on. And if they then make a decision, you live with that decision. If you say, oh, I don't agree with that, you then can get more elders and deacons from our church to hear it again, to see if our original elder made the right decision. When you join the 201, we teach you this, how to be a part of our church according to Matthew 18. That is the biblical way. Even if you haven't been taught that exact way. The bottom line is you don't gossip. You go to the person, you get the leadership involved, and Lord willing, it will be resolved. Amen? Now, once again, somebody might say, well, it didn't happen at my church before. I understand. It happens here now. Amen? I apologize for what they did or didn't do, but we will make it right here. Amen? We will not be those people. And lastly, number eight, lazy people work hard to stay lazy. You ever met a lazy person, church? Come on, you ever see how hard they work to stay lazy? Man, they will do whatever it takes to be lazy. I mean, sometimes, you know, you will see them get out of a job, put more effort getting out of the thing than actually coming to the job itself. People have made excuses in this society to remain lazy, and they want people to still compliment them and make them feel special because we are an entitled generation. Let me give you an example here. I was watching America's Got Talent. Anybody ever watch that show? It's kind of entertaining. It's got like American Idol, but it's all these different talents. Long story short, they are now in the se- semifinals where they get to decide whether or not they're going to be in the finals. Well, you got to perform in front of the judges. No audiences. You come with your best. Well, a lot of people are letting their nerves get to them. They get nervous, and the judges make the decision at the end. Well, this one young lady, she was nice. She was sweet. She smiled. She had a good voice, and she came and sang, but she messed up. And then she messed up again, and she walked out. The judges then said, Bring her back in. Now, you think, you know, maybe the judges are going to say, well, we know you're nervous. We just want to give you another shot. You know what these worldly judges did? The worldly judges picked her apart, said, you know what? You didn't come here dressed for success. You didn't prepare for this. You're already making mistakes. We can tell you didn't practice, and we're going to take you out of this competition right now. Basically, you're fired. Now, you might say, well, that's so unfair. Have you read about Jesus and Judgment Day? I'm asking a question. Have you read about the parable of the wise steward with the talents? Have you read about Jesus? He is not going to say on judgment day, well, I know your life was so busy on Facebook. I know you had to hang out with all your friends. Oh, I know you had to be at your girlfriend's house, had to keep up with the TV show. God is going to judge you on that day. And you know what she does? And this is so typical of lazy people, and we've all been there before. She gets out of there, and then now her tears, she's somehow miraculously stopped crying. You know what she is now? Now she's mad. How could those judges say that to me? They think I didn't work hard. I worked so hard. And you know what? That's what lazy people want to do. They want to blame it on their boss. Well, if my boss understood that I had to do this, this, and this, they shouldn't expect me to be here on time like everybody else and work like everybody else. They should give me special privileges because I'm so special. 
We want everybody to understand our problems when really the problem is laziness. In life, my friends, here it is for the advice for the idol. Make it happen. Stop making excuses. Your mama, your daddy, your friends, your boss, your pastor, your pastor, your dog isn't to blame when Jesus lives on side, inside of you. Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ. Your biggest enemy is the person you see in the mirror. Own your mistakes and work hard daily to change them, and the power of the Holy Spirit will accomplish the work. Every Every great person in life had to work hard consistently for what they have, and you will have to do the same. Can I hear an amen? As you stand to your feet, will you open up to Hebrews 6, 11? Band, would you come, please? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end. Can everybody say diligence? Thank you. In order to make your hope sure, we do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. If you are in this church today and you find yourself in any one of these categories, we welcome you here. We're not looking for perfect people. But what we want to ask you, if you're a messy person, are you willing to clean your mess? If you're dysfunctional, are you willing to receive the instruction? If you're needy, will you let us do the best we can do? If you always need to talk to me, would you let me talk to you now? Trust my leaders. They're awesome. That's who I talk to when I have problems. When you think the local church is just like a grocery store, would you please consider the people here that worked hard for you to enjoy this day, for you to have all that you have at that retreat? Would you make sure that if you ever walk away from this church, you do it with a grateful heart, thankful for what the people gave to you and your family here? Last time I checked, we don't pay our children's workers. For those who believe they know it all, would you just humble yourself and understand that we are a ministry that loves to teach and preach the gospel, but we don't know you, you don't know us, and you came to us, so now it's time to learn. Would you trust the church and believe that we'll give you a chance to teach? Most people who have been here for a while will tell you, not only has this church given them an opportunity to teach and to preach, but it has done it so fast that they feel scared. We're not a church that keeps the, guard, the, the, the spiritual car in park. We're in fifth gear. When we get to talking to you about what we actually want to do in this, you'll be like, okay, slow down. I'll start with step one. Rebellious people, if you really have that heart of rebellion today, would you do what Matthew 18 says and just repent and then go to the person in a humble heart and just go, hey, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And lastly, if you're lazy here today and you're giving us a bad reputation because on your job they, they think Christians are lazy, would you ask God today to change you? One of the greatest testimonies that I have that I got saved, my mother will testify, is that I got a job. That's how she knew I got saved. And I cleaned my room. And one day when I came, just one day, one day when I came home from Bible college, I volunteered to do the dishes. She about fainted. She said, what has happened to you? I just want to work for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this wonderful church. We love every person here because you love them first. Lord, none of us are perfect. We all got issues we need to work on. Would you reveal those to us now? Altar workers, would you come as we get ready to dismiss? If you have any of these areas in your life, please don't be ashamed or embarrassed. I tried to tell you as many as I have had in my life and still deal with. Would you just search your heart right now and just say, God, show me who I am. 
because I don't want to be one of those people. You know, pride is one of those things where it's always easier to recognize in others than it is in ourselves, isn't it? So just look at your own life today. Man, am I, am I where I'm supposed to be? Because if you need to change, this is a perfect place to do it. Perfect time. We're going to close out in prayer. And as we dismiss, I'm going to call all those who want to pray to come forward. And just let other believers pour into you and love on you today. And I promise you, you won't feel some type of a superiority or a false judgment. You'll feel compassion and love because you know who loves those people? Jesus. Jesus. Remember that? Jesus we talked about in Revelation. He loves the church. Even with all the mistakes and all the imperfection we have, he loves us. He loves the hypocrite, the critic, the needy, the manipulator, the messy person, the rebellious. He loves us, and he calls out to us for his new life to change us. And maybe it didn't relate to you in the church, but if you're going through something in your marriage or your family or children, you're not obeying your parents or you're getting in trouble on your job, or you've been having a bad attitude, would you come as well? Because I know if, it, if it's happening there, it will eventually show up here. Just ask God to change you. He loves to do it. Father, we thank you, and now we ask you to change every one of us. Would you just raise your hands with me and just say, Jesus, change me. Create a clean heart in me, oh God. Oh, God, let me not look at the plank in others' eyes, but let me see the speck in my own eye, God. Lord, let me not judge others by a different standard than how you judge me. Oh, Lord, would you bless us this week? Would you change us? Help us to get along, God. If this was a church for only perfect people, it would be empty today. So, Lord, this is your body. And we ask you to change and use us and make us a great family where everybody comes and feels loved. In Jesus' name, can you say amen if you believe it today? Come on, somebody, would you bless the Lord with me? Amen. God bless you. Slap your neighbor high five and say, I love you in Jesus' name. If you need prayer for anything, we're up here. Come on up and talk and hang out with some of our leaders. You are dismissed. Enjoy your day. We'll see you at Life Groups. God bless you.
but you love us too much to leave us that way.